Well, here we are again in the month of October, and I am once again sad that the Seattle Mariners are not going to be in the playoffs. Welcome back, everyone, to the 51st episode of the Chaos Ball podcast. A somber, a somber podcast, one where my face looks like Kyle Raleigh's face does all the time when he's playing baseball. The Seattle Mariners, obviously, if you're listening to this, you know what happened. They're not in the playoffs. They missed the playoffs in heartbreaking fashion yet again, and I will talk about that. But first, I have a couple things to go over. One, I want to say I am very openly anti-homophobia. I'm very openly anti-homophobic slurs. I am officially anti-Hector Neris. This is an uh, the Chaos Ball podcast is a anti-Hector Neris podcast, officially. I don't really want to talk about that. Uh, um, I have more things to talk about. That was just bizarre and weird. Uh, and I want to say, very sad. Very sad. Uh, Julio's comments about Hector Neris um, the, the next day after that happened were sad. Because he clearly kind of looked up to the guy. I mean, he's... Um, he, he talked about him being kind of a a veteran to look up to in the league and, uh, he called him his friend as well. Uh, his, his countryman as well, like a a Dominican guy to look up to in the league who he has called his friend. And, uh, he said he's going to watch out for who he, he makes friends with, I guess, in the future. It's just really sad to hear from a young superstar and, and a, a veteran who's severely let him down and allegedly used a anti-homophobic slur at Julio in a huge spot uh, to, to taunt him about striking him out. I'm all for celebrating striking someone out in a huge spot like I am all for celebrating a home run in a big spot. But to go at the guy like that and also kind of cowardly to walk towards him that that much and then stop like if you're gonna go do it then throw hands dog like what are you doing you know don't half-ass it just really uh really weird really upsetting but that is not why we're here podcasting today a couple more things to go over before i wax poetic about what went wrong with these mariners uh i want to tell y'all what i will be working on the next couple weeks. I have more episodes coming out. The season is over for the Mariners. The baseball season is not over, but I have more Mariners stuff to talk about in the coming weeks as I will be releasing this podcast weekly still until the end of October likely. And then from there on out, we'll see. We'll see what I want to do uh, off-season schedule-wise. I have minor league team of the year episode will be coming out next week. Uh, I will be revisiting my over-unders and my general team predictions probably when the season's over or maybe before the World Series. I'm going to let the playoffs play out for a little bit before I do that because uh, I'll probably have, I think I'll have minor league team of the year next week. I will have probably a Mariners recap the week after going more in-depth statistically, uh, focusing more narrow on guys' seasons and the good, the bad from the season and, and, and statistical, you know, analysis of guys that that's what that episode will be. So those will be the next two weeks. And then the third week will probably be seeing how I did with my over-unders. I think I'm going to listen back to every preseason pod 
and take a couple quotes from each team to see what I got right and what I got gloriously wrong, because I'm sure there's plenty of both. And then maybe some postseason content, but we'll see. I have other stuff to focus on, so I don't know how much postseason baseball talk that I will uh, that I'll have. Maybe in November when stuff is settled and the off season's really started, uh, I'll I'll recap maybe the best things on the postseason. But we'll see. But those are the next few weeks, so more minor stuff to come. Uh, and the minor league episode is going to be really cool and really fun. I really like doing that, uh, and I've really enjoyed looking into stats and I appreciate that Fangraphs has really uh, bulked up their minor league stat leaderboards. It makes uh, my job for that episode way easier. Uh, and then one, a couple other things before we really get into the last week and last month of Mariners baseball and sadness and all that. Uh, more sadness, two big deaths in the, in the baseball world uh, this week. Brooks Robinson died a few days ago, ripped to Brooks Robinson. He was, he was old, um, and this was a shock, but it was one of those where, you know, it's it's just sad, but lived a good life. Uh, Orioles legend, obviously, I didn't watch him play, but if you have, like me, looked at, watched or read or listened to anything about baseball history, anything about Orioles history, Brooks Robinson's a name that will come up, especially for Orioles. He's... Uh, Orioles legend. He spent a lot of years with the team after playing with them for countless years as well. I know he was like a broadcaster and he worked with the team a little bit too. So he was as Orioles as they come. And then broader baseball history, if you have looked back on the era in which he played or even just baseball as a whole, when you talk about the greatest defensive players of all time, the greatest defensive third base of all time, his name comes up. Uh, and for good reason. He's largely regarded as the greatest defensive third baseman of all time. Uh, so RIP to Brooks Robinson. That was that was sad. Very sad to hear Jim Palmer uh, talk about him because Jim Palmer had played with him and known him for a very, very long time. So RIP Brooks Robinson. And then what happened just yesterday, Tim Wakefield died at, at 57, way too young. Way too young, really sad. Um, Tim Wakefield, similar to Brooks Robinson, an absolute legend in his organization in the Red Sox. He also did announcing work with the Red Sox and stuck with their organization after retiring as well. Um, battled brain cancer, thanks to Kurt Schilling. The entire world knew that a couple days before he died. Uh, also, I want to say very openly, anti-Kurt Schilling podcast as well. But, um, no, Tim Wakefield, really, really sad. Obviously, like I said, died way too young. 57 is too young. Um, But I feel like he, a cult hero, Red Sox legend. I mean, when you think of, and by all accounts, a good dude as well. Um, But uh, when you think of the knuckleball, you think of him, at least for me, I feel like for most people. Uh, I didn't really get to watch him play baseball. I'm a little too young to have remembered him playing on the Red Sox. However, I do remember playing the video game, the greatest sports video game of all time, MVP Baseball 2005. I remember playing that on the GameCube. And I, for whatever reason, as a kid, I really liked using both the Giants, but also um, the Red Sox. I really liked playing as the Red Sox, probably just because their team was really good in 2005. 
But uh, I remember pitching with him, and that's how, in when I was five years old I, and six years old, I discovered what a knuckleball was. And I had known about, and Tim Wakefield is a name that I knew about as a kid from that video game. I didn't know the impact he had on the game, but as I started learning more about baseball in like high school and, and, and when I was growing up, I had always remembered his name for the knuckleball, and I didn't realize that is appropriate. That is what he's remembered as, but um, that is my memory of Tim Wakefield. But uh, really sad, so RIP to both of those fellas, absolute baseball legends. Just wanted to say that at the top of the show before getting into um, Mariners. Uh, Just want to say this entire year has reminded us all, reminded me, Baseball is stupid. Baseball is dumb. It's just a dumb, dumb sport. Uh, look at the look at the seasons like between the the Padres and the Marlins. The Padres clawed their way back and missed the playoffs by a couple games. And the Marlins, by the skin of their teeth, I'm not saying they don't deserve it, but you look at the Pythagorean record, you look at their one-run game record, the Marlins deserve to be in, but looking at it, it's like it's crazy they got in and the Padres have maybe the best team I've ever seen not make the playoffs, especially because they played like it. It'd be one thing if the Padres underperformed, but statistically, they did perform well, and yet they lose out on the playoffs uh, because they lost every single game. They played in extra innings except for, like, one this season. Uh, It's just a dumb sport. The Mariners get eliminated on game 161. Again. Again. They're so good at doing that. Like, what a dumb sport baseball is. Uh, George Kirby got hit with a baseball the other day. That was weird. And then before really getting into uh, the, the the monologue I have about the Mariners, uh, George Kirby threw a knuckleball yesterday. On the topic of Tim Wakefield, he threw a knuckleball yesterday. Uh, he confirmed it was in honor of Tim Wakefield, which is really cool. A couple things. One, nasty. He did Tim Wakefield very right with that knuckleball. That thing was gnarly. Uh, two, George has teased this all year. He has been saying he has a knuckleball, and he's been wanting to break it out all season, and he finally did it in the last game of the year against Corey Seager of all batters, and he made Corey Seager look silly. Three, relating to that second one, George, going back, you do a little research, George has talked about this knuckleball before, but he apparently when he was growing up, he was a knuckleball fastball pitcher when he was a kid, which is wild. And now all I want is for next season, him to come in with a pitch repertoire that includes this knuckleball from time to time. He, he started to kind of throw the splitter more this year. Uh, we obviously know about his, his four seam fastball, his, his two seam sinker fastball, his slider. That's, you know, his, those are his bread and butter pitches. Those are what gets him paid. But he mixed in the splitter more. But now I'm going to want to see this knuckleball a little bit more, man. It was it was a nasty pitch. So I'm I'm just going to have to – we're going to have to petition to see that more in-game next season because it could function exactly like a Zach Greinke 59-mile-an-hour EFIS pitch where you do it in the middle of a bat – and it's so random that the hitter's not prepared for it, and they're just not going to hit it. Like, I think it'll work as just like a, ooh, surprise knuckleball. Like a pocket sand situation, but pocket knuckleball 
for George Kirby. Uh, that's I just wanted to say that. And now, what went wrong? What went wrong? I think that's what I'm going to title this episode as. What went wrong? Again, the team four times eliminated on games 162 or 161 since 2014. That is by far the most in baseball. It's not close. Call it luck. Call it cursed. I call it Mariners baseball. That's Mariners baseball. It's pain. It's nothing but pain. It's not that they get eliminated most years. It's it's the fact that they've been a pretty well-run organization, especially under this regime. But since 2014, they've had fun teams. They've had good teams. They've had bad teams. But four times in nine years... They made the playoffs one of those years, thankfully, but four times eliminated on the final or final day or penultimate game of the season is brutal. It is nothing short of torture. <laughs> it's it's just insane. And of course it happened again this year in it in a year that it, it it was such a weird year, but going down the stretch, it felt like they were going to make the playoffs. The energy felt like they had to make the playoffs kind of like last year. But they failed. And what went wrong? A lot. It's You can't really point to one thing. You can try, but you'd fail. The stat part of my brain wants to find something really, really wrong with this team. But there, I mean, there's not one thing to point to like we've seen like them disappear offensively this year and that's definitely a huge issue but there's so much more that goes into that Uh, at the end of the day in the biggest games of the year against your two fiercest rivals this season especially but in the past couple years I mean the Angels and the A's haven't been super relevant to to you know playoff contention in this division so these have been your two biggest rivals they failed. They they did not rise to the occasion like they should have, and they failed. I don't know what it is. Lack of lack of dog. Lights too bright. Whatever you want to call it. They just failed, and that is baseball. I think you can say lack of clutch gene. You can say lack of dog. You can say unprepared for the big moments. But ultimately, at the end of the day, baseball is a wacky and weird sport, and you lose sometimes, and you fail to win for whatever reason. And I don't think it's worth even going into why or how they lost and breaking it down super in-depth because at the end of the day, yeah, that is baseball. You just lose sometimes. You just lose. You you lose games to the worst team in the league sometimes. It's baseball. Like, that just happens. This team has the talent. They have a young core that I think is one of the better young cores in the league right now. At the very least, it is a top 10 young core in the league. I think that's a very consensus and not a hot take thing to say. They have some of the best position players in the league. They had one of the, if not the best, pitching staff, including the rotation and bullpen this year. And yet it's clear they didn't really deserve to make the postseason after what we just saw these last few weeks. You can get you can get mad at at DePoto in the front office, and there's plenty of people who want to fire Scott Service every time he loses a baseball game. You can get mad at John Stanton, and rightfully so. I think a lot of this anger is towards John Stanton, uh, and there's plenty to be upset at. 
And prior to the season, I thought they didn't do enough to make this team a World Series contender, and I was not alone in that thinking. I'm not going to sit here and say, I told you so, uh, when so many other people thought similar things to what I thought. In my in my off-season podcast, and my preseason podcast, I talked about the lack of moves, and I was just not super confident in what they did. And a lot of a lot of fans felt similarly, a lot of... People like me who aren't media personalities but speak about the team on Twitter seriously or on a podcast seriously thought the same things. And what do you know? It it was kind of true. But when it comes down to it, like the guys making the decisions are not on the field. At the end of the day, this is still a good baseball team. They won 88 games. At the end of the day, the Jerry DePoto and Scott Service aren't out on the field at bat with the game on the line the players are and they've disappointed in big moments all season like there were some good moments this year and even in big moments like jp crawford absolutely the most important player to the Mariners season this year and was the biggest clutch guy on the team we saw in those in the last uh, couple games of the season he had the walk-off he had the huge grand slam in the next game to put the game out of reach it's that is the guy who showed up but the rest of the team really didn't and that sucks uh, I mean, ultimately, it's been up to the players and the coaches, and like to an extent, the coaches to show up and prepare. And there's a big crucial game, and it felt like they shit on themselves in a lot of those games this year, and a lot of those big moments. But particularly in this last month was was tough. But again, that's that's the nature of baseball. I don't know how much there is to to read into when the season was on the line. Like they had the JP walk off, blowout victory, and then they lose the next day to put the nail in the coffin if they had played better earlier in the month they wouldn't have had to be in such a tough situation Uh, if they had won a couple more games at the start of September they wouldn't have had to be in a situation where they need to (laughs) sweep the Rangers and have the Astros lose to the Diamondbacks it was to a certain point it was out of the Mariners hands a little bit and it shouldn't have been at the end of the year with the the way we saw them play earlier in the year, we saw how good they could be, and then they fell off in September, and then fall so short, just short. And baseball is just a brutal, brutal sport. So brutal. I, like it's how many times can I say it? This this is a a lot of people want to blow it up. That not the team, but the front office and stuff. But it's like they've built a good team. They've a great one at times this year. And they fell short. They've won 90, 90, and 88 games the last three years. And one playoff appearance to show for it. Uh, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of engagement on one of my tweets a few days ago where I said the people who want DePoto and Service fired are, are somewhat delusional for thinking that that will help things right now at the current moment and be a cure-all because it will not. And... People got to look around and realize the Mariners are one of the better run organizations in baseball, but with the caveat that there's plenty to be improved upon. There's no perfect organization, uh, but there's a lot of really poorly run teams, and the Mariners are not one of them. And I'm very thankful that they've even been in the playoff race the past few years. It's not something I've ever really experienced outside of like 2016 in my life. Uh but there's still plenty to, to criticize the front office for. 
And there's always questions about how much falls on ownership, how much falls on front office, coaching, players. We'll never truly know. Uh, but ultimately, there's this is a good and well-run organization. I have confidence in the, the front office to build a good team. They've built a good team, but this is a crucial point where the team is good enough to contend, but not quite good enough to be a World Series winner. And they're in a weird spot. Uh, it's just, uh, it's tough. To rub extra salt in the wound, they win the last game of the year on a great George Kirby start for their league-leading 16th shutout of the year. Yes, the Mariners led the league in shutouts. And then, the, and then they gift the division to the Astros while simultaneously missing the playoffs in heartbreaking fashion. So they, they take the division away from the Rangers, but that doesn't matter. The Rangers are in the playoffs anyway. It sucks for them. They have to go to Tampa now, which is brutal. And they take it away from the Rangers and give it to the Astros. I would have rather the Rangers won this freaking division. That's just extra salt in the wound to have the Mariners be the ones responsible for... <laughs> partially the ones responsible for the Astros winning the division again in a year that I kept saying the Astros were going to win the division despite the, what the standings looked like, and they did it. I really wished they did it. I really wish they didn't win the freaking division, but they did. Baseball is cruel. It's a cruel sport. Again, this team, 90 wins, 90 wins, 88 wins, made the playoffs once. One NLD or ALDS trip. In the NL, they're in all three years. They're in the playoffs all three of those years. If they're in the AL Central, they win the division once, twice even. I mean, it's just torture to be a baseball fan. But sometimes, particularly for the Mariners, uh, it's just a simple circumstance change, and, and everyone thinks differently about the front office probably right now. They had to make it interesting at the end. They had to. They couldn't just die earlier in September. They had to hang on. They had to give the fans the the sliver of hope just to yank it away right at the end. I mean, I guess like I'd rather have my team do that than be terrible. Uh, but they still could have made the playoffs. They teased the division briefly too. Just so so unfortunate. They. They really showed us how good they could be for the months of July and August. Like, they briefly take sole possession of the AL West. And then the calendar turns to September, and they come crashing down to Earth. Like, I don't even think they ran out of, like, quote, steam. Like, a lot of people were saying online and stuff, like, they ran out of steam. I don't even know if that's true. I don't really think that is true. I just think baseball is a ridiculous and volatile sport and they didn't play well in September for reasons, whatever. And they, they lost. I, I don't even like the pitching staff was substantially worse in September, but I don't even know if that was running out of steam. I think that was just, they got hit more than usual. Cause sometimes that happens. Like if that month happens in, in May, it doesn't really matter if they go back to normal the next couple months, but it happened in September. It happened at the worst part. And these guys are big league players who I don't think they ran out of steam. I think they were quite prepared to play in September. They just didn't play well. And what makes it worse is the Rangers and Astros both didn't play well down the stretch. 
None of neither of these three teams wanted to win the division. They all were losing crucial games. And so the Mariners were lucky enough. They were lucky enough to hold their own fate in their hands in the final 10 games of the year. And then they get swept by the Rangers. And yet they still hold their own fate in their hands because the Astros also got swept. And then they lose two of three to the Astros in a god-awful series. The first game of that against Verlander was the biggest gut punch in the year. I think that was when morale hit rock bottom. Before we got eliminated and there was a sliver of hope after winning a couple games against the Rangers, that was the worst. That was the absolute worst game of the year. Might still be. The the game that clinched us not, or the game that like eliminated us officially, with the Astros also beating the D-backs that day, was pretty terrible and sad. And also really bad. And the offense looked awful. But that game against Verlander, the vibes were, were good going into that game. There was hope. And they just, they just, ugh, shit on themselves. Verlander didn't even pitch amazing. He was, he was good, but it wasn't like vintage peak Verlander. They were just flailing up there. And then they end up taking three of four from the Rangers in the final game of the series, but it was too little too late. Like they made it as painful as possible. And of course there's always worse things to look at because, your two biggest stars, Luis Castillo and Julio Rodriguez, failed you in the most crucial moments of the season. Two men whom I love. I would do a lot for these two fellows. And boy, the team would not be anywhere close to the playoffs without these two guys this year. I do want to say that. Absolutely phenomenal years from both of them. Really weird year from Julio. But the six-week stretch of the season where they won the most games in the league, they wouldn't have done that without him being probably the second best player in baseball that stretch behind Mookie Betts. And it's just the nature of baseball that sometimes your biggest stars cannot come up in big games. Like you can talk about clutch and all that, but sometimes again, it just doesn't happen. Like there's the, the, the title of ace that is often discussed online and Luis Castillo. And if he's an ace and if he's our ace one, who cares, really, about who the ace on the team is? <clears throat> the idea is uh, the Mariners have three of the best pitchers in the league. One, two, three. Who cares what the ace is? That's phenomenal. Let's just appreciate that. And two, Luis Castillo had an ace-type le- like like an ace type year, if you really want to talk about it. He had an ace year. He will be getting top three Cy Young votes in the American League, and deservedly so. But he came up short in his two biggest starts of the year. And people were like, he's not an ace. I mean, what? You see Clayton Kershaw's playoff record. You're going to call him not an ace? You're going to call him not the ace of the Dodgers for the past decade plus? No. And I'm not comparing him to Luis Castillo, but your ace can also have a terrible game. Like, that's just the nature of the sport we root for. Uh, So he is an ace. But also, the Mariners have two other guys who could be aces. So who really cares about this ace title? Like, it doesn't really matter to me that much. And that's just how it goes. It's tough because a lot of people will remember this season, Luis Castillo, they'll look back on the stats be like, oh, he had a phenomenal year. But a lot of fans will remember he came up short in the two biggest starts of the year against the Rangers. And that's just, that's just how it goes. Uh, a lot of people... We'll remember that. Recency bias be damned. That's not fair, but that's baseball. That is baseball. And Julio, absolutely miserable stretch 
of the season to end the year, where the team needed him most. Uh, he was terrible. He looked the worst he'd looked all year at the plate. There was no confidence inspiring at the plate. Every plate appearance was... He was striking out on stupid pitches. He was swinging at bad pitches to start the at bat. He looked, he just looked terrible at the plate. And the team needed him to be big. The team needed him to put in a better performance than he did, and he failed to do that. Uh, but another, again, a phenomenal year. But people will remember that he didn't, he didn't come through in the end when the team needed him most. He vanished. Shout out to Avatar The Last Airbender fans. And whatever you say about Clutch, Clutch Gene, Dog, in him, whatever you want to say about any of that, his plate appearances in big spots this season were just not ideal, and that's something to work on. I mean, there's, there's just an eye test thing, and you can make big claims about him being really not clutch and him sucking in big moments, but that's, I, whatever. I think there's a certain amount of luck to that, and I think he can learn from these moments. Uh, but there, it's also, there's a certain, you know, like there's a certain truth to that because in those big moments, those play appearances looked pretty bad. And if you want to compare it, compare it to J.P. Crawford. Like, J.P. Crawford, his record with the bases loaded this year was crazy, but in big spots, like we saw those last few games of the year against the Rangers, that guy was putting in a good plate appearance. He was laying off pitches, fouling off pitches, competitively swinging, just competing at the plate. And Julio really was not doing that. Uh, and that, like he, Julio wasn't hitting that much, like his plate appearances weren't really changing from what he had when he was on that huge stretch. It was more just like he wasn't, confident he wasn't connecting with the baseball just just terrible just terrible so when you look back on the year those two played a huge part in both getting here and also in disappointment uh but ultimately this team was flawed in, in so many other ways that it's not only on them uh they were still a good baseball team they just came up short again again they came up short the story of of the managers especially the last few years and you can trace it back to the front office not bulking up the roster enough in the offseason to like limit the variance of how good they and bad they could have been i've talked about that and like limit a situation we just saw last week if they if they had done more i think the floor of the team would have been increased they probably would have won a couple more games been in the playoffs i don't know it's it it's Maybe they didn't strengthen enough with the trade deadline. I don't know. Either way, doesn't matter. They came up short. Everyone came up short. Players, coaches, front office. Everyone came up short this year. What's especially brutal is like every team in the playoffs, except for a couple, has like two starters that they're going to throw. Like two starters that they're confident in. And then after that, it's like we can go to our third starter, our fourth starter, but like are, do we really want to do that? Like they'll lean on their bullpen or pitch a starter they're not super confident in. I mean, look at the D-backs. They had to pitch Gallon and Merrill Kelly down the stretch to clinch, and now they're starting Brandon Fott, a rookie, who, Brandon Fott Hive, stand up. I'm here. Uh, but that's not who they want to turn the ball over to in a wild card series. But they have to. 
Uh, and what's tough about it is the Mariners would have had a unique advantage more so than most years in that they had three f- great starting pitchers. And then you had these two rookies who are not, you wouldn't be amazingly confident in starting a playoff game, but could have really helped out of the bullpen. It just, the Mariners would have been at such a pitching advantage this postseason. Obviously, that wouldn't have mattered if the offense disappears in games like we saw all year and even last postseason in the dreaded never ending game versus the Astros. But it's tough looking at how the Mariners would have stacked up, and that's unhealthy to do. But I was doing that already. Like the Brewers have probably have the strongest rotation in the playoffs. Maybe the Twins. The Twins is the deepest, I would say, but the Brewers' best arms are better than the Twins' best arms, I, I would say. But it's tough. Mariners would have rivaled both of them in terms of depth and quality of, uh, of pitching. Brewers are built similarly to the Mariners, too. Their offense can really disappear, uh, but um, their pitching is really good. And the Twins, Twins are so much like the Mariners in terms of disappointment. Like, if you're a Mariners fan looking for anyone to root for this postseason, the Twins are spiritually aligned with the Mariners in so many ways. The Twins have made the playoffs plenty in the last two decades since the Mariners drought. They've won zero games. Their playoff record is abysmal. They haven't won a game in... How long is it? 20 years? They haven't, they've, like, it's the age old question. Would you rather be the Mariners and continually miss the playoffs for 20 years? Or would you rather be the Twins and make the playoffs every so often, but never win a game in the playoffs? It's torture. So uh, I think Twins fans and Mariners fans have a lot in common there. So if you want a team to root for that's anything like the Mariners, root for the Twins to win a playoff game at the very least. Uh, but that, I think that's all. I think that's all I have. I think that was my monologue about the Mariners. I will talk a lot more about their season, but that was my summed-up thoughts of what kind of went wrong these last few weeks and just baseball's cruel, man. And now I'll get to my notes. My notes. My random notes. The easiest thing for the Mariners to do this offseason is to put a C on J.P. Crawford's jersey and or Cal Raleigh's jersey, but I think at this point J.P. probably deserves it. Make him the captain. Uh... Moving on. Pretty simple. Uh, Is clutch a real thing? That's rhetorical. Who knows? There's a stat for it on Fangraphs. I don't trust it. I I trust that the people who made it have confidence in it as a clutch stat, but a clutch stat is is just kind of an oxymoron for me. Uh, I clutch is clutch a real thing? Who who really knows? Uh, Kyle Raleigh. And I'll get into this more on the official Mariners recap episode, but he's been, he was throwing guys out this month, particularly at such an impressive clip. Uh, he had Emily's best 20, or no, uh, 12 caught stealing in September, which I think was the most, which is a lot in a month. And he did not lead the league. Shea Langoliers, I believe, led the league in caught stealing. Let me pull up the uh, the stats right quick. Yes. Shea Langoliers of the league and caught stealing with 38, which is crazy. And Kyle Raleigh, number two, 27. So really cool. Uh, really crazy through 12 guys out in September to boost those numbers. That is, that is buck wild. Uh, but shout out to Kyle Raleigh. On the topic of Kyle Raleigh, and this is in my notes, but this is how I'm going to finish the episode. Oh, actually, one more thing before I 
before I get into Cal Raleigh's comments after uh, getting eliminated. I will never, ever forgive the Mariners for not signing Marcus Semien a couple years ago. Never. I will never forgive them for it. I campaigned so hard for it, and I've talked about it before. I wish I had the podcast back when that was that offseason was happening because I would have been so annoying about Marcus Semien. Ask any of my friends. I, all year, I knew he was going to be a free agent. And look at the Mariners' second base situation. Look at what that would have solved if you had a just a, a, a rock like Semien at second base. Imagine where this team could be right now. But they didn't. They didn't do that. They, they would have solved so many problems for such a long time, and they didn't freaking do it. The Rangers got him. I think about it like once a week. I think about it so often because I love. I really like Marcus Semien as a player. I loved him going into the offseason. I loved the contract he was given. I thought it was very fair, and he is playing his ass off. He has been for the Rangers. Not surprising. He's awesome. Whenever Marcus Semien was on the TV or like in a Twitter highlight or something, I would look over to my roommate. He can he can validate all of this, and I would say, future Mariner Marcus Semien. On my personal Twitter, I think I had said that once or twice. I said that constantly. I tried to manifest it. It didn't happen. I think about it all the time. All right. End of my notes. Now, Kyle Raleigh. Kyle Raleigh made some a very spicy but very needed comments after the Mariners got eliminated from the playoffs. After they got eliminated from the playoffs. And here are these comments. I have a I have a very long Twitter tab here open about Kyle Raleigh. And I'll just read quote. Kyle Raleigh says, We've got to commit to winning. We have to commit commit to go, to going and getting those players you see other teams going out and getting. Big-time pitchers, getting big-time hitters. We do have to do that to keep up. We've done a great job growing some players here and within the farm system, but sometimes you've got to go out and you got to buy. That's just the name of the game. We'll see what happens this offseason. Hopefully we can add some players and become a better team. And then one last quote from Cal. You look over at the other locker room, they've added more than anybody else, and you saw where it got them this year. There's more than there's more than one way to skin a cat. But going out and getting those big names, people who have done it, people who have been there, people who are leaders, people who have shown time and time again that they can be successful in this league is definitely going to help this clubhouse. It would help this team and maybe help those little things that we need. I agree with Kyle Raleigh. You can boil it down to everything I've said last offseason and this season. Signing good players is good for your team. There are still a surprising amount of people who said the Mariners were smart about the offseason. Not spending money is not smart. It's And there's always the, oh, the comeback of, oh, what if you give a big deal to someone who doesn't pan out? So who cares? Give money to better play. Give money to good players then then that's a loss, but that shouldn't ever stop you from giving money to good players. There's always like, oh, if they sign this, oh, if they sign that, oh, this is how they should spend their money, oh, they shouldn't just blow it all on one player. Spend as much money as you want. At the end of the day, if you purchase good players in free agency, your team will be better. Obviously, we saw teams like the Padres, like the Mets, like the Yankees to an extent, spend they have high payrolls. They spent a lot of money. 
But those situations were also some like fairly different from where the Mariners and a lot of other teams are in. And you don't have to run a, the league number one payroll. But at the end of the day, spending money on good baseball players helps your baseball team. There is no scenario where spending money on proven good big leaguers is a bad thing. Ownership and front offices have brainwashed fans into thinking that not spending money is some kind of smart move when spending money on good players, surprisingly, improves your baseball team. Look at the Mets. Completely different situation to the Mariners. That team was old, and they kind of had to spend that money to even think of contending this year, and it still failed because the team was so freaking old. But look at what happened to the money. some of the money that they spent. They traded it at the deadline because the players, turns out, that they spent on, many of them were good, like Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. And look what they do at the deadline. They trade some of that money to teams who want to win now for prospects. So if it doesn't work out, the money, if you spent the money on good players, then you can just get rid of them. Like Just spend money on good players. I don't know how that is hard for people to grasp. Kyle Raleigh, very good comments. Really good to hear this from Kyle. Calling out ownership in the front office. I don't think this is a bad thing. Especially what came out afterwards. Logan Gilbert on Cal Raleigh's comments. Quote, Cal is the best in what he does for this team especially. It can't be overstated. Every team would be better by adding big players. That's just how the league works. I don't think it's a shot at all the, at, all at the people we have here. Agree. Uh, Ty France on Cal Raleigh. Quote, I respect Cal. He's really established himself as a kind of veteran guy on this team, and he's put himself in that position to be able to speak openly. I don't think anyone in here has had an issue with whatever he said. J.P. Crawford and Ty France are on Team Cal. J.P. said he's earned the right to speak his mind. J.P. said, I think Cal had some great comments yesterday. I know there's a big controversy about that earlier this morning, and I'm with him on that. I think we need to go out there and make really and make a move to help this team win. And what JP was talking about is the next morning, Cal somewhat apologized somewhat about being, you know, more emotional and and talking like that. And Scott server spoke on it and said, you know, it was emotional moment. Um, didn't say like it was a terrible thing to say, but more just said he, he let his emotions get the best of him. And Scott has to say that. It's, it's, you live like it's the, it's the double, it's not a double edged sword. It's just, this is what we have to live with when you have a manager that is an extended finger of the front office. The manager's not going to say anything bad about the front office or ownership when they're this closely intertwined. He's going to somewhat criticize a player that does that, and that makes sense. Is that a bad thing for the locker room? Uh, maybe. Is there something like, is there something to be said for, a, a front office that hires a Scott Service that he exemplifies everything the front office wants. Again, he's merely an extension of the front office. The lineups and everything he does is a blueprint that's decided between him and the people that run the team and where the disconnect is maybe is between him and the players. So maybe you hire, you have a front office that hires a manager I don't know, like a Skip Schumacher type this year where all of the players have said so much. They love Skip. They've loved everything he's done this year. Uh, And he's, you know, I don't know, maybe not 
ultra aligned with the front office, but he really has the clubhouse together. So maybe Scott will never quite have that because maybe a manager with edge gets you more cred from the players for, I don't know, going not 100% for all the club's wishes. I don't know. It's weird. The manager in baseball situations are tough, but the fact that Scott had to come out and say that and somewhat defend the front office, and then every other leader on the team was like, "No, we stand with Cal." I don't. That's a, that's a tough situation. So, I agree with Cal Raleigh. I do. Sign good players. I liked what Logan said. He was like, "It's not that hard. You sign good players, your team gets better." I agree with Logan Gilbert. I'll say it. I'll go out of limb. I I agree with Logan there. Ugh, just ridiculous. Uh, and then JP also said he intends to return to driveline much sooner than last offseason, and he's bringing Ty France with him, which brings me to my next and last topic of the show. I had a note that just said, send the entire team to driveline, uh, but there's more nuance than that, apparently. So the owner of driveline uh, was in Mariner's Twitter a little bit yesterday. Thanks to Mariner's Muse, who was talking about it. Uh, They had a a good little conversation about this. And I'm just going to read the tweet from uh, Kyle, I think it's Body or Bodie, who's the founder of Driveline. He says, While we appreciate the love from the Mariner's fans, the reality is a bit more complicated than, quote, team sends us players and dislikes their coaches. Certainly sometimes this can happen, but the Dodgers have a great relationship with our organization and their coaches are excellent. He goes on and says, like, like the, the Mariners hitting coaches who um, they know a little bit, like the hitting coaches, he says they're they're great coaches and good friends. And um, he said that C.J. Gilman, the minor league coordinator, he's an outstanding coordinator, and the data in the minor leagues by the Mariners hitters supports my opinion, obviously. And he said Jared DeHart is a great hitting coach, the Mariners big league coach. And then he goes on to say, the dynamics of the offseason are not apparent to fans, and this year there is a six-week dead period where club reps cannot talk to the players at all, and that plays a large role in offseason training facilities being a place to go. But even without that, you just spent 162 games plus spring training with the same people. Even if you love them, it gets old. Anyone who's lived in a college dorm can empathize. He says there's much more nuance to it, and he also might run like a, a live video Q&A for Mariners fans. And then he goes on, there's another tweet that he said, the topic is surprisingly complicated and why a small business like like ours is better than every MLB team in terms of player development and sports science. Yes, we take pride in being objectively elite, because they are, but MLB teams are more than just training and player development. Well, that's basically all that Driveline cares about. So that leads to conflicting incentives, he said, and notably teams that simply poach coaches from Driveline expecting to see results tend to get worse because they don't understand systematic development. And then he said, quote, angels, LOL. Hilarious. A little dig at the angels. I love this guy. So it's not just as simple as send them to driveline, but uh, I wanted to say that JP seems like he's bringing Thai fans to driveline. And I last week's episode, I came to the determination that I want JP, I want a tie on the team next year. They should still look to strengthen first, but I think there's some swing changes, and maybe driveline can unlock that. So we'll see. We'll see. But that is uh, that is that is my thoughts. That is my initial thoughts, and that is all I have for you today. I just uh, 
I just want a year where the last week of the season is nice and and relaxing in preparation for an already clinched playoff spot. Is that really too much to ask? It might be too much to ask. It's just unfortunate. And then what I'll leave you on, and I'll definitely talk a lot about in the coming weeks and months of the offseason, is, is if there was pressure last offseason to spend, which there was and they didn't, sheesh. This season is not even close to last season. The pressure is exponentially more than last offseason. The fans are so angry. A lot of them take it out on Scott and Jerry Depoto, but a lot of us, and even those same people, know it's likely because of John Stanton. I think there's there's two schools of thought, and I think one of them is that John Stanton is not going to want to spend money and Jerry Depoto and his team kind of want to spend more, but they can't. And that could be the situation and that sucks. But there's also a situation where Jerry Depoto and his team took this job knowing the budget, knowing that they could provide John Stanton with good enough teams to both set record attendance like they did this year, sell a bunch of tickets, sell a bunch of merch, conjure a whole bunch of excitement in the city around this team to make him oodles and oodles of money and yet not blow his bank. And that's what they've done. So I don't think the front office is blameless and they might be more in line with John Stanton than we know, but we'll see this off season. If John Stanton and the front office really want to win a world series, they have to spend money on good players this offseason and it comes back to this conversation where the last two offseasons there were so many players available position players and this offseason's a lot weaker than those last two and so they missed out on chances to get a guy like Marcus Simeon chances to get a lot of good players even you don't even have to break the bank Brandon Drury was available this offseason he had a really good season he would have been awesome for the Mariners at second base I talked about him every podcast episode when he wasn't signed and said give him not very much money, and he went to the freaking Angels and had a great season. It's not that difficult. So this offseason is huge, and the pressure is on, and it's going to be very apparent to the fans that if by spring training there there aren't significant spending increases to try to make this lineup better, I don't even know how, I don't even know what the fans are going to do. Because everyone's going to be so mad. Despite the team, the future of this team is still good. But it's a crucial spot right now. It's a very crucial offseason. The biggest offseason probably uh, since last offseason. The biggest offseason for Jerry Depoto and, and company up there. So we'll see what happens. But I'm done with this episode. As always, appreciate the listen. Uh, look out again for the next couple weeks. There will be some Mariners content, and then we'll take it and play it by ear for the rest of the off season. It is officially Shohei hunting season, and I'm not excited for the off season discourse that will take place online. But again, appreciate the listen. Rate and review if you really like the show. Recommend to your friends if you really like the show. Either way, if you listen this far, much appreciated. Uh, uh, one final go Mariners of the season and I hope you have a good rest of the week and I will be back next Monday with the minor league team of the year so look out for that but thank you and goodbye